0: D.T. Max is the author of *The Family That Couldn't Sleep*, a medical mystery. His new book is *Every Love Story Is a Ghost Story: A Life of David Foster Wallace*. Thank you for joining me, Daniel. Uh, thanks for having me. This is such an interesting book, and what I really love about it is that, for all that it gives us this incredible uh, insights into this life of this author his life and his character are such that you also evoke, I think, you know, a whole nation through a whole generation. And I think that's a a really interesting effect of reading this book.
1: It's something I was trying to do. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you found it in the book, because I saw, you know, in, in David Foster Wallace, because of his sad early death, there was also an opportunity to write about a generation that has really never appeared in biography yet. And it, and it all happens to be my generation. He was one year younger than me. So you know, there's a whole world of culture, especially pop culture, um, which I wanted to try and sort of relate to his life. And, and, and I think in that way that the reader can identify with it. You know, the reader can also start thinking a little bit about David in relationship to, to, to him or her.
0: You know, one of the things I think that's so interesting about the challenges you clearly face putting together this book is that you have uh, David's life and David's writing and David's life in his writing. And that's uh, three levels that are, you know, difficult to disentangle and difficult to put back together in, in your own uh, nonfiction work. <laughs> it is, You know,
1: it's it's tricky, but I think David gave me a gift, in a sense, and that you know, for him, the concerns of his writing and the concerns of his life were so similar. You know, in his in his writing, his great the great change that comes over David as he's working on Infinite Jest um, in the early 1990s, as he begins to get away from the kind of ironic style of you know, that's sort of dominant among clever people in this culture, the kind of David Letterman style, and he moves towards a more sincere or authentic way of talking. And of course, in David's own life, that was exactly the same you know path that he was trying to follow so unlike some authors you know a certain kind of author reaches a certain age and really all you can honestly say about them is that they sat down and they wrote you know they wrote well or they wrote poorly but they wrote and with david that's never you know never the case it's not just that his life is full of drama though it is for sure it's that his mental life is always full of so much drama there's so much ambition every day david wakes up he has this ambition to be a better person
0: one of the things I think that uh, makes this book uh, really powerful is your uh, ability to weave your own really nice and strong prose style and intercut it with David's letters and his notes and the actual you know uh, excerpts from his writing. So I'd like you to talk about balancing your voice with David's voice while you're exploring for the reader trying to create who David was.
1: You know, it, it's an, it was an interesting challenge because you know, David has probably the strongest prose style, you know, in a generation. That that combination of kind of high and low voice, fancy words plus street talk, these long sentences that seem like they're ungrammatical. Only when you really look at them, they're perfect. That 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 that, that is really what the web has tried to the web has tried to take up that language. I don't know if it was being conscious or not, but certainly David been a big influence. I don't, you know, I've never really written that way. And I never really wanted to write that way. My admiration and love for David's writing is is very much sort of somebody who's who's writing differently. Um, And, you know, style, one thing, I think, one thing I think every love story that goes straight teaches you is that style is really deep. Style really comes out of a way of thinking. And for David, you know, he tries to change his style at the end of his life. And his way of thinking, and, and eventually, I, in my belief is he just pushed it. He pushed his style and his thinking beyond beyond who he really was. But back to me, what I felt really strongly was that I wanted to tell his story um, with an immediacy. You know, that the whole strangeness of writing a biography of David is, you know, when I started it, at least when I started the original article for the New Yorker, he, he had died a month before. And even in working on the book he had only died well it's be four years ago in a couple of days so um, I didn't want to try and write a, a book where David c like he was a nineteenth century person you know i wanted I wanted to be very clear that we were that we were in a sense you know what I was trying for in a funny way was what I call memoir but not written by the person who experienced it so there's no there's none of the kind of rigmarole of of ordinary biographical writing for better or worse some people I think think miss it. Um, as far as sort of did I want to try and write 75 word sentences? You know, it it wasn't just a courtesy to David not to, or even a sort of prudent decision that there's only a handful of people who can do that, and he was one of them. It was more, it it I just felt that I wanted his story somehow told with a cleanness that his own life was a kind of counterpoint to. And you you made up you brought up a very very nice point, and I'm pleased to hear it, which is you're meant to feel like his letters are in a completely different tone from the words that I write surrounding them. I mean, it's very deliberate. They're meant, they're meant to sort of, they're meant to flash at you. And, um, that also was part of my decision to, to keep the prose, you know, tight. I mean, a lot of what I did in this book really, although it's not clear to a, uh, to a reader doesn't know a lot about David's life is, you know, I left out. I mean, I did an enormous amount of pruning. And what's so interesting, of course, is David's whole battle was with the, with, with the muchness of the world, you know, the, <clears throat> the epigraph at the beginning of the book I think is is relevant for him and relevant for me almost in a way from coming from different corners um it goes um what goes on inside is just too fast and huge, and all interconnected for words to do more than barely sketch the outlines of an at most tiny little part of it at any given moment any given instant um you know and for david that the great challenge there is not to be overwhelmed by the muchness of it, but for me, it's almost like that's a a kind of an invitation, like this. Since this is how we think, and this is how we actually experience life, just getting those tiny bits. Those are those are the bits I want. You know, I'm I'm pushing away the things I'm not even recording, and you're not even recording.
0: Well, that's a, it, that's an interesting point. You know, I now that you bring it up, the the fact that how David was was a man known for writing a lot, and you yourself must have had an enormous task. Talk about uh spending uh time going through the notes, through the letters, getting the letters, talking to the people who knew him, who I mean, this is all very recent. Their emotions must have been pretty raw at this point when you were doing the research for this book.
1: Yeah, I think they absolutely, you know, they absolutely were, especially when you when one came to the closer, you know, the family members, David's family and his close friends. But you know, even beyond that, there were the thing about David is that there are people he touched who grieve over his death, who, who never met him, you know. I mean, that's, he's he's got this remarkable quality, which I think one can trace to a sense in David's writing, you know. I mean, David, obviously, on, on the one hand, is, a, is the kind of person you know, who woke up every day trying to make his life more meaningful. But, you know, that's not, I mean, that's, that's, there are many people who do that. I think what's unusual about David is that we sense that he also wanted us to do the same. And I think because of that, when David dies, um, we feel we've lost a, a kind of a friend uh, in the difficult and complicated world that we live in. You know, it's not, I'm not sure everybody who's, if you look online, you'll see all these comments. You know, I'm not sure many of those people can exactly say why in some way they feel like a sort of John Lennon-like figure has passed. You know, probably they would even not know themselves, but I think it comes out of that sense that that, you know, David was in a way looking... After he was, he was not only you know he was he was aware of of how hard it is to be a decent moral person in this world, and he was concerned that we should be so too. Not just not just that he would try to be, and certainly you know, reading the, every love story is a ghost story. Nobody can come away with the impression David was perfect, and I don't think that's what anyone's going to come away with. But but I do hope that the book both leads people to his writing and and, and helps them to ask that question, like why do we. What is it about David that touches us so deeply?
0: One of the things I think that's interesting about your book is the notion of story that you bring to his life and the way we experience your story of his life and of his ability to tell stories that got into our lives and made us feel our lives differently. And I think that's a very interesting way that you... um, play with the reader's perceptions of just the importance of story and language, both to David and to the reader who's bothering to read about David?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a very nice uh, observation. I mean, the, the, the biography is written, you know, every love story is written very much to be story. It starts with the sentence, uh, every story has a beginning, and this is David Wallace's, and it ends uh, with story also, even in, you know, in the midst of the terrible sadness of his, of his death by suicide, the last sentence is, uh, you know, this was not an ending anyone would, would have wished for David, but it was the ending he had chosen. And, you know, to me, that, that they deliberately try to tell you that, you know, especially for David, really, life was a story. I mean, one of the really fascinating things about David is that he, for all his addictions to marijuana, and he considered himself a sex addict, too, at various times in his life, David's main addiction, he always said, was to television. And not just, you know, to television, I mean, not particularly to sort of television news, but to sort of sitcoms and soap operas. I mean, David was addicted to stories. Story somehow calmed him. Uh, you know, I try to show this in every love story. Just, uh, in the midst of his breakdowns, there's a moment in the book where he has a breakdown. He's just left college, uh, and he's with a friend. And what he does is he turns on the TV. You know, the, the TV, the voice, the friendly voice of TV is what comforts him
0: one of the things that that interests me too is that his ability to uh transform the world with just words and your ability to convey his that ability to us that's a, another two-step tra- uh, transformation that you achieve i think is interesting and i think it's uh, at the heart of the book
1: i agree you know one of the things about david that i find so sort of engrossing and intoxicating is, is, you know, David's commitment to words was total. Any Anything, any experience he had, you know, he responded to with words. When he's deeply in love with Mary Carr and, you know, pursuing her in this sort of toxic relationship that spans two cities, even when he lives around the corner from her, he sends her letters. <laughs> um, words are what he trusts. And words are his, you know, television may be his addiction, but he always sees the possibility of words as, as as his salvation, I mean, I could not be a writer if I didn't similarly see, you know, words as my salvation. You know, there's there is no experience like writing, to you know, even when you deal with sort of the grief, the grief that that you feel, uh, the grief that I feel about David's death. You know, writing through that grief, it's it's palpable how when you write it down, it begins to become, you know, something, something. Outside yourself, I wouldn't even say it becomes more manageable. It just becomes something outside yourself. And when something is outside yourself, you know, it can be, you can begin to live with it. You can begin to work with it. Um, you know, I don't really consider this the, the only time I'll write about David. I'm not necessarily talking about for publication, but, you know, I still process David in my private writing. And, um, you know, will continue to because I, I don't think that one, that publication ends that process. I mean, it looks like it does, but it doesn't.
0: I've been speaking with Daniel T. Maxx. His new book is Every Love Story is a Ghost Story, A Life of David Foster Wallace. Thank you for joining me, Daniel.
1: Oh, Thanks very much for having me.